Callender here, News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT, 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. All right, so uh, I mentioned it the last hour. I'll, I will circle back to that Khashoggi story, but I want to get into some of this tech stuff. Uh, Twitter is, uh, I think everyone now is dead from Twitter. I think, it, yeah, I think Twitter has killed everybody. I mean, well, everybody that wasn't killed from net neutrality. So whoever the remaining people alive were, that's the, from what I understand. People are having a very, very difficult time with Elon Musk taking over Twitter. I, and it's it's kind of comical to me. Look, and I say this as one, I've got a Gab account. I've got a Parler account. I got a Getter account. I have a MeWe account. I have a... Rumble account, I, and finally, it's like I, I, I don't want any more. I don't want any more social media. I don't want any more accounts. On I have an Instagram account. I have Twitter. I have Facebook. I have YouTube. I, I, I don't need any more of these accounts. But I remember whenever Twitter, you know, the leftists that were running the company would do something and lock out accounts, or they would suppress stories, like the New York Post Hunter Biden story, literally locking out the nation's oldest newspaper. Founded by Alexander Hamilton, right? Locked out that newspaper uh, from its own account because it did a story that now we have confirmed from other media outlets that it was true the whole time. Not that you need them to confirm it. They did their own story. They had the evidence there. And it's not appropriate for Twitter to have locked out that account. So people were like, oh, and you couldn't even share it. Remember, you could not even share the link to the story in your direct messages. It was a big old thumb on the scales right before the election. Facebook followed suit, right? And then when we did get some kind of coverage, what was it about? It was 50-something, you know, uh, Intel officials, uh, both current and former, and they've come out and they say, this smacks of a Russian disinformation operation which apparently also smacks of an American disinformation operation. I guess they smack of the same thing. They both similarly smack, right? Because the letter that they sent out was a disinformation campaign. They engaged in that against us. Our own intel officials engaged in propaganda against the American public. They weighed in using you know their credentials as experts in the field, and they said, you should not believe this story because our expertise tells us this is fake. When, in fact, that was fake. Anybody going to be held to account for that? No, they. a lot of them still have their talking head paid gigs on these, uh, on these networks. But I raise all of that because whenever conservatives got targeted on Twitter... And then some new company would form, like Gab. Uh, they were the first ones, I believe. Um, and then Parler and Getter came along, right? And then Truth Social, I think. But And MeWe is in there. It's a Facebook. Uh, oh, Locals is another one. I'm on Locals as well at some point and Patreon and all of that. So the these other social media platforms that, that try to be competitors to Twitter, they, they emerge. And remember, they took, who was it? Was it Parler that got taken off of? AWS, Amazon, right? The backbone of the internet. It was either, I want to say it was Parler. Yeah, I think it was Parler. 
and they had to rebuild like their entire uh, platform because they were literally like locked out of the internet. Because of January 6th, if I recall correctly. I think that's why they did that to them. And what did we always hear from the lefties? They're like, well, if you don't like it, just go build your own platform. And then, of course, they built their own platform, and then they they knocked them off of the internet. Well, you just build your own internet, right? That's where we are. And so they're losing their minds over Elon Musk's moves at Twitter. I don't have any idea what the guy is doing. I'm not following it very closely. I can tell you I have had... Zero interruptions in my Twitter experience. I have not seen anything worse or better since, which indicates to me that they had a lot of uh, personnel that probably didn't need to be there. But I do find it kind of comical the way the lefties are now talking about getting off of Twitter and going over. There's some other uh, platform called Mastodon. Have you heard of this one? I had never heard of it before about a week ago. And all of a sudden, I start seeing people, oh, I'm going to go over to Mastodon. Come on over. And then I see, man, Mastodon runs terribly. I'm, I'm back here. <laughs> so, Which is exactly what happened when conservatives tried to leave Twitter. That you just, You're going to another place, and you're going to be in this very small echo chamber. And I think people are not patient enough, as they were like when I first got on Twitter in 2009, to build that platform. It takes a long time. But here's the thing. Twitter is uh, it is a major platform for the, quote, influencers of our society, journalists and politicians specifically. Instagram, TikTok, that's where like the recording artists and the like those cultural movers and shakers, those influencers are. But when it comes to politics and, and media, Twitter is the platform. So now I see all these people that are talking about getting over onto Mastodon, and it's so funny to me to see the things that they have in common. Like, for example, and I'm not trying to pick on this one individual, but I'm going to mention him because he's, well, all right, I won't mention his name. But there's a reporter. There's a reporter up in Raleigh, works for the McClatchy Papers, and uh, I think he does decent work. I do, and I disagree with some of his framing of some things, but I thought he's covered things fairly as well. So uh, anyway, he... He goes over there onto Twitter and he's like, "Oh, I've tried to get onto Mastodon. And I'm not really, I'm not really figuring it out. I don't understand what's going on with this platform and how to operate it." And uh, I was just curious, so I said, "Do you have any accounts with Parler or Gab or Getter or MeWe?" And he said, "No." Oh, interesting. Why, why, and I did, that, that was where I left it, because I, I kind of sussed out what I was interested in sussing out, which is that he's trying to go where the liberals are, right? That he knows, he knows that the progressives are all mad about having Elon come in and take away their credentialing service, because that's what Twitter is. It's a credentialing service. It's, here's your blue check. You're important. You get to say things that people listen to, because you have a credential. And Elon says, no, it's not about the credentialing. It's about a free speech platform. Anybody should be able to interact with anybody else I mean, to some extent. And then if you know you abuse it, then you can get blocked. So, which, by the way, please use the block feature, use the list feature, use the mute feature. All of those things are there to make your experience more enjoyable on Twitter. 
If somebody is tweeting at you and they're trolling you and you don't want to see it, then just block them and it's done. You don't have to see them anymore. But for some reason, people don't understand it. Well, the other day, Joe Biden was asked about Twitter and Elon Musk and whether they should be investigated. And Biden said, I think that Elon Musk's cooperations and or technical relationships with other countries is worthy of being looked at. Whether or not he is doing anything inappropriate, I'm not suggesting that. I'm suggesting that it's worth being looked at, and that's all I'll say. Okay, so now you've got the president, and then this was, by the way, echoed by his national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, who said, well, you heard the president yesterday. You know, the process is the normal process through which transactions that might have a national security nexus get reviewed, and I'll defer to the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States process rather than comment on it further. Hey, um, have you heard of TikTok? Do you know anything about TikTok? Way worse. Way, 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 way worse. If you got kids on TikTok... The damage is already done. China's got all of your stuff. Anything on that phone, they got it all. All righty, so a reminder, the Carolina Panthers and Charlotte FC is going to host their annual tree lighting festival presented by Atrium Health. It's on Tuesday, November 22nd. That's tomorrow. It's at the stadium, Bank of America, Mint Street and Graham Street. Starts at 5 o'clock. The event is free, but you're going to need tickets to attend. And they got tons of great stuff going on, like free hot chocolate, photo booths, a letter writing uh, station. You can also make some fleece blankets and um, uh, holiday cards for the patients that are at the uh, Levine's Children's Hospital. So it's a great cause, great event. Uh, if you want to take the family out there, it's again tomorrow at 5 o'clock uh, at Bank of America Stadium. All righty, so National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan says, hey, you heard the president. Yeah, we should look at Elon Musk's cooperations and or technical relationships with other countries. It's worthy of being looked at. Like all of a sudden now you got all these leftists that are so mad. Have you heard about some of the working conditions at Twitter? I don't know why anybody would work from home. You can go into the office and they've got they got like all this stuff for you. They would they had a cafeteria that would feed you for free every day. I got to tell you, I, and I acknowledge this might be a bit of a blind spot for me working in radio for as long as I have. <laughs> but uh people are outraged that Twitter has fired like what half of its workforce or something and got rid of all of these these perks like the uh, the cry closets and the cafeteria, the free food and the the was is a sensory deprivation chamber rooms or whatever. They got all these crazy things at their offices, and they they're getting rid of all of it, and they they're firing people. And like you're gonna you know you're gonna work now. You got to work for a full eight hour shift, and everyone's oh my gosh, I can't believe it. Oh, they're firing all these people. And I'm like, yeah, I, that's radio been happening in radio for 30 years and all of a sudden i'm supposed to be like terribly upset that big tech is seeing because it's happening across all of the big tech companies right it's not just twitter twitter's getting all of the attention because that's where the journalists live apparently right they're they're all connected with twitter and 
It's their own little hive mind. Uh, I don't know. It's it, it's. I I recognize I do not have that soft of a shoulder to cry on <laughs> because the industry in which I work. I get that. But that being said, some of the things that people are crying about on Twitter is like, you guys have no idea what it's like out in the real world. You really don't. My goodness. Um, yeah, so they put they, they reinstated Trump, by the way. Elon Musk, I think that was last night or today or something, they, they put uh, Trump's account back online. So if he wants it, he can he can use it. I thought this was hilarious that CBS News, they said that they were pausing their Twitter activity out of an abundance of caution <laughs> because of uncertainty about the platform. So I immediately went, you know, they got this new feature now, case of disasters or catastrophes or, you know, mass attacks. You know, you could say marked safe, you know. So I, I, I went on, I marked myself safe from Twitter just to make sure, you know, all my friends and family know that, I am now safe from Twitter because apparently this was such a big deal out of an abundance of caution about all of the uncertainty about the platform. CBS is pausing its Twitter activity like I'm not going to tell you what our headlines are because I am uncertain about the future of this platform. And but yeah, that lasted 36 hours. They were back posting their headlines again. This come on, guys. There's so much of this. You're just you're hypochondriacs. It's it's embarrassing. You're embarrassing yourselves. Stephen Miller, not the one from the Trump administration, but the writer uh, uh, over at uh, Washington Examiner, he talks about the platform of Twitter acting as the center of the universe for journalists. And he's right. I've always said it, it sort of punches up, you know, out of its weight class. Maybe not the biggest social media platform, but it drives the political discourse because all the journalists are there, the, the politicians are there, and they can interact with one another. Twitter's become an ideological bubble meant to shield the most powerful and privileged people on the left side of the political aisle. He's exactly right. This is the whole point of the Hunter Biden laptop story being suppressed, is that they could do it. They didn't want their crowd to see it. They didn't want anybody to talk about it, and so they suppressed it. It's become a gatekeeping tool for corporate journalists and progressive influencers. A platform that bans users over jokes like learn to code and tweeting the wrong emojis at a transgender person. Blowing Twitter up and starting over is necessary, he says. The tipping point came during the 2020 election, when Twitter froze the sharing or linking of an explosive New York Post story involving Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, and a laptop. There was a reporter named Jake Sherman. He actually had his Twitter account suspended briefly for trying to share the story. The problem was the story was accurate. Twitter put its thumb, its powerful thumb, on the scale of a presidential election. It's notable that much of the corporate media are now so bereft at Elon Musk's completed purchase. The absolute best thing that can happen to Twitter is that it becomes less important, though. Newsrooms are oftentimes just glued to the platform because of how it acts as a live heartbeat of news. He's exactly right. I've talked about how I use Twitter in that very same way. Because, like, I created these lists and I have followed my people that I want and I get, you know, some from different uh, political philosophies. And this way I can kind of I can kind of see all that's moving out there in the matrix. 
is very much like the Matrix with the just the characters scrolling past you. It's my new, it's my personal AP wire service, if you will. But I have seen, I went down to Atlanta one year for the holidays, and I remember watching the local newscast, and they've got a reporter in the newsroom, and she's just standing next to a big television, and on the big television are tweets. And she's, I guess, got a printout of the tweets because she's reading to me the tweets. But I can see the tweet on the television right next to her. They're really big. She's got a huge television right next to her. Or monitor, I guess. And they've got the picture of the tweet up next to her, and she's reading it to me. Why do I need you? What is this? Is this, is this journalism? You're just talking about what people are saying on social media. Some say this person... Hot chick sixty nine seventy two says, "Really, this is this is what passes for journalism now." In recent year, they've also used it to elevate and cancel even the most randomized and powerless of users, just to teach them a moral lesson. But a lot of the country is not active on Twitter, even if a small number of hall monitors in the media are. And that is the great. That is a great term for them. They're hall monitors. You, you shouldn't have said that. Oh, they said a bad word. Mrs. Crabapple, they did this thing they weren't supposed to. And then, sorry, your life is ruined. You're fired. Nobody uh, wants to associate with you anymore because somebody, you know, took a picture of you while some guy was beating a drum in your face at the Lincoln Memorial and you smiled. How dare you? It matters because social media should not serve as a gatekeeping tool for only the influential and powerful in culture and media, right? These are the, the managerial class, the quote-unquote elites, right? And that's how they use Twitter. They use it to not just amplify their own stories and get that echo going, you know, inside the echo chamber, but no, it's also to make sure that stories don't penetrate in. And then if they do, and it's a non-double-plus ungood thought, then we crush you. We dox you, and we ruin your life. See the account holder libs of TikTok. All righty, so the Senate Intelligence Committee Chairman Mark Warner, a Democrat from Virginia, praised former President Donald Trump You heard that correct. Praised former President Donald Trump on one of the Sunday shows, Fox News Sunday. Why? Because Trump recognized the threat posed by TikTok, warning that parents should be, quote, very concerned about their children using the app. Senator Warner issued the warning during a Fox News Sunday appearance after being asked by uh, or about the Beijing-owned social media giant, which has become a national security concern over its ties to the Chinese Communist Party. Trump had ordered the parent company of TikTok, the company's name is called ByteDance, B-Y-T-E, Dance, ByteDance, all one word. Um, Trump had ordered ByteDance to divest from the platform's U.S. operations or see the app banned nationwide in mid-2020. The Biden administration is trying to reach a security agreement with ByteDance to avoid such a ban, but bipartisan fear has grown 
that TikTok cannot be truly separated from its country of origin. In a story at WashingtonExaminer.com by Emily Jacobs, uh, Warner is quoted as saying, I think Donald Trump was right. I mean, TikTok is an enormous threat. It's a threat on two levels. One problem is that TikTok is a massive collector of information, oftentimes of our kids. They can visualize even down to your keystrokes. So if you're a parent and you've got a kid on TikTok, I'd be very, very concerned, he said. All of that data that your child is inputting and receiving is being stored somewhere in Beijing. Warner continued by questioning the very idea that we can somehow separate TikTok out from the fact that the actual engineers writing the code are in Beijing. The Justice Department is trying to come up with a solution. He says, I'm going to, try, I'm going to take a look at that solution, but they've got a huge mountain to climb. The second problem is that TikTok, in a sense, is a broadcasting network. And at the end of the day, he says, which I hate that saying, it has to be reliant on the Communist Party. The China law states that. So you've got a, you've got a broadcast company, a, a, a Chinese Communist Party propaganda outlet in your child's pocket. In your pocket, if you've got a TikTok and they're scraping all of your info off that phone all the time. The consequences could include Beijing censoring content critical of China while increasing content your kids may be seeing. Like, oh, hey, you know, Taiwan really is a part of China. You know, stuff like that. It's a distribution model that would make RT, which is Russia Today, the television, or Sputnik, right, or some other Russian propaganda models, pale in comparison Senator Tom Cotton, a Republican, has said TikTok is one of the most massive surveillance programs ever. It's not just the content you upload to TikTok, but all the data on your phone and other apps, all your personal information, even facial imagery, even where your eyes are looking on your phone. Cannot tell you enough. TikTok is bad news, folks. Bad news. Um. Speaking of China, did you hear this? Apparently the Chinese government has been setting up unauthorized police stations in America. That according to the FBI director. And if you can't trust the FBI director, Christopher Ray, uh, Ray, really, who can we trust? Quote, I'm very concerned about this. We are aware of the existence of these police stations. He told a U.S. Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee hearing, acknowledging the FBI's investigative work on the issue. But he declined to give details. He said, to me, it's outrageous to think that the Chinese police would attempt to set up shop, you know, in New York, let's say, without proper coordination. Really? That's outrageous to you? Huh. Okay. I, I don't know. I think we may need a new head of the FBI. Because I would expect the Chinese to absolutely do something like that. Have you heard of the Communist Chinese Party? They're, yeah, I mean, this is the kind of stuff they do. They just, they shoot and kill, you know, suspected drug dealers just in the street. Just poof, done, you know? Anyway, it violates sovereignty and circumvents standard judicial and law enforcement cooperation processes, he says. There's a Europe-based human rights organization. It's called Safeguard Defenders. They published a report in September revealing the presence of dozens of Chinese police service stations in major cities around the world including New York. 
The report said that the stations were an extension of Beijing's efforts to pressure some Chinese nationals or their relatives abroad to return to China to face criminal charges. It also linked them to the activities of China's United Front Work Department. Or maybe it's United Front Work Department. No, it's probably United Front Work Department. It's a Communist Party body that is charged with spreading its influence and propaganda overseas. Earlier this month, China's foreign ministry denied it had such stations in the Netherlands after an inquiry by Dutch authorities. China said, no, 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 these are just offices to help Chinese citizens renew their documents. We're helping them. Christopher Ray said that the U.S. has made a number of indictments including the Chinese government harassing, stalking, surveilling, and blackmailing people in America who disagreed with Chinese leader uh, Winnie the Pooh. All right, sorry, Xi Jinping. Uh, Oh, that's why the Biden thing matters. I'm just like, these are all these stories. They're all just connected. This is why the Biden thing matters, because you got a connection to the Chinese government through Hunter Biden. And if 10% for the big guy is some sort of payoff, well, China's got that, too. They got that to leverage. No, of course they would. Think that makes him look bad? When you're doing business with the Chicoms, you're taking money from the Chicoms, and now they're opening police stations in America? I'm not saying the two are related. I'm just pointing out that it's an awkward question to have to answer. And the Chinese would know that. And so, you know, hey, if you don't want this getting out, maybe you do what we want. Maybe you're a little bit... Uh, what did Barack Obama say uh, to uh, Medvedev when he told him, tell your boss man, Putin? Oh, that's right. After the election, I'll have more flexibility is what he said. So maybe that's it. Maybe the Chinese just say, hey, you know, well, maybe you should be a little bit more flexible with us on this stuff. After all, wasn't this exactly what they impeached Donald Trump over? These same allegations, right? These foreign policy maneuvers that they say Trump was trying to... You know, trying to get some sort of quid pro quo out of Ukraine. Well, is that what we're seeing here? This is why, like, I am, a, as I said, sat, uh, sunlight's the best disinfectant. I want to hear the information. Although, Andy, I got a message here from Andy. He said, sunlight is the best disinfectant. Unless, of course, a playground and COVID is concerned. That's true. Then, yes, then you can't you can't send the, the kid to the playground. Um. So the Biden administration is now declaring that Saudi Arabia's crown, pin, crown prince should be immune from a lawsuit over his role in the killing of that uh, U.S.-based journalist, Jamal Khashoggi. The request is non-binding. A judge will ultimately decide whether to grant immunity or not, but it is bound to anger human rights activists and many U.S. lawmakers coming as Saudi Arabia has stepped up imprisonment and other retaliation against peaceful critics at home and abroad and has cut oil production, a move seen as undercutting efforts by the U.S. and its allies to punish Russia for its war against Ukraine. The State Department says this is purely a legal determination. That's it. Longstanding precedent here. Despite its recommendation to the court, it takes no view on the merits of the present suit, and it reiterates its unequivocal condemnation of the heinous murder of Jamal Khashoggi. But the crown prince, who apparently called for it, should uh, he should be immune. Saudi officials killed Khashoggi at the Saudi consulate in Istanbul. They're believed to have dismembered him. 
although his remains have never been found. The U.S. intelligence community concluded Saudi Arabia's crown prince had approved the killing of the widely known and respected journalist who had written critically of Prince Mohammed's harsh ways of silencing his critics and rivals. Biden, as a candidate, vowed to make Saudi rulers a pariah over the killing. And then, of course, he went and visited them when we needed some more oil production. He gave them a fist bump, and that didn't convince them to make more oil. So here we are. Here we are. WBT. We get to a couple of emails here. Sorry, I'm far behind. Uh, Brett says, Pete, my opinion, Democrats and the FBI have decided that they don't want Joe running in 2024. That's all that this is. Right. The reporting on it, the CBS story on the Hunter Biden laptop. Hey, look at that. We got it confirmed after, you know, 18 months of ignoring its existence. Now they got it confirmed. It does make me wonder if like, yeah, you know what, Joe, this is the warning shot. Get out, you know? Uh, Jay says, until eight to 10 years ago, members of Congress were immune from insider trading laws, allowing them to use testimony in closed committee meetings to trade uh, to trade stocks. Best regards, Jay. Um, And Mike here says, I have to agree with the caller, Pete, the caller who said that no penalty was paid for Benghazi. I guess I've become used to monetary corruption in government, but I'm amazed that Hillary and Obama would go so far as to let people die to protect their jobs. No help was sent to the embassy under siege in Benghazi because to do so would admit the U.S. was under attack in the middle of an election. Blood was on their hands and they got away with it. With regard to, again, see, I don't know, like, what did you expect? You expect criminal charges against Obama and Hillary? Because they didn't get help there because they were incompetent at best. I think Hillary paid a penalty. No, she was not charged. But I don't think you could be charged for messing up as she did for the Benghazi thing. And I covered the trials and the hearings and not trials, but the hearings and all that. I mean, I did. I covered it in depth uh, at the time. And yeah, the the denial that, you know, Benghazi was attacked as it was, was because, and they tried to yeah, tried to lay it at the feet of that guy who made some video that nobody saw, right? That absurdity. Why? Because Mitt Romney jumped out ahead of Obama and condemned it as an attack on the, on the consulate and all this, and they tried to pretend that it, you know, it was just some guys walking around with some RPGs or something, and they just, you know, saw the video and they just unleashed their fury on, the, <laughs> on that embassy. No. Um, but I, I believe Hillary Clinton paid a price. She did not, she did not win. I think that's partly due to her incompetence as well as the laptop stuff and the, the homebrew server. And she's a terrible campaigner, candidate, all of it with regard to Hunter Biden. And honestly, you know, yes, I mean, I, I, I see that there would be people like, oh, we want to lock her up, lock her up. But you got to know that for her. Not winning, like that's, you know that torments her, right? You know that's got to torment her. Anyway, back to this email from Mike. With regard to Hunter, even if the worst case scenario happens to him, don't you think Joe will pardon him on his way out the door? Don't you think Trump would do the same if it was one of his kids? I don't know. He could. 
Either one of them could. It's speculative. I don't know. Um, I'd like to test it. <laughs> I'd like to see if it's if it could become a reality, and then we can get mad about the pardon. But I'd like to see first him get in trouble for the things he did that were illegal. I'd like to get them to tie the ten percent to the big guy. I'd like to see them tie that to the big guy and have people now understand that yeah, Joe lied in the campaign and has been lying ever since that. He has benefited from his son's foreign business dealings with some of our enemies. Yeah, I'd like I'd like that to to be known more widespread. Sure. Uh, former there's this also from CBS News. Former Trump Organization Chief Financial Officer Alan Weiselberg testified in court Thursday describing how Donald Trump and two of his children allegedly participated in a scheme to defraud tax authorities. Weiselberg said Donald Trump, or at times Eric Trump, or Donald Trump Jr., would sign checks. And those checks would be used to pay up to $100,000 for private school tuition uh, for Weiselberg's grandchildren. Weiselberg, again, this was the CFO of the company, said that he would instruct the company's controller to deduct the 100000 from his salary, allowing him to report a smaller income. Copies of some of the checks signed by the Trumps have been shown in court. Weiselberg said the first, Trump, uh, first time Trump signed a tuition check, Weiselberg told him, don't forget, I'm going to pay you back for this. The payback, he said, was the salary reduction. Two Trump organization entities and Weiselberg are accused of more than a dozen counts of fraud and tax evasion. Weiselberg entered a guilty plea back in August, admitting to charges filed by the Manhattan DA's office, accusing him of receiving more than $1.7 million in untaxed compensation. He is still on the Trump Organization payroll, and over the first uh, couple days of testimony, described a litany of benefits that he and some of the other executives got for which he said their salaries were reduced to avoid paying taxes. He said for himself and several other executives... The salary reductions were then mitigated by hefty bonus checks paid to them as they were independent as if they were independent contractors for the Trump organization. That was all before Trump became president. The practice ceased during the next 2 years. Defense attorney Alan Futerfus 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 anyway, he asked uh, Weiselberg Did Trump authorize you to commit tax fraud? And Weiselberg said, quote, of course not. Oh, yeah, the headline on this is that Trump's had no role in fraud scheme. Alan Weiselberg testifies at company's trial. So I guess the walls closing in on Donald Trump. I'm telling you, this has got to be the biggest room ever in world history. The world might be the room here. The walls have been closing in on Donald Trump for so long. There's no other explanation for why they haven't crushed him yet. They haven't smushed him up against the wallpaper yet. Defense attorneys for the Trump organization, they laid the scheme squarely at Weiselberg's feet, saying that he hid the salary reductions. And he says, Weiselberg says that the company's controller, a guy named Jeff McConney, that they were... um, 
that they were the ones who did it. McConaughey was the one who did it, but McConaughey's been granted immunity in exchange for his testimony. Oh, and there's an election denier who's going to be the next Democrat leader. 